Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. I wonder what people have in their minds, what they're thinking about the whole Leo of a red car, Leo the leak situation about this document that he gave to the NAGP that had been agreed with the IMO and Look, did he break the law? Did he not? Later on, I want to know what you think. What do you think about this? Is it a whole big storm in a teacup? Or uh, is the tarnished in, in trouble? We're, we're trying to get an expert view as well from one of the senior political correspondents. Good morning. It's a lovely morning. It's a beautiful morning on the second day of the last month of autumn. And I am not <laughs> going to get into this again. But this is not winter. There are people saying all weekend, oh, it's the start of winter. No, it is not. Winter starts in December. Now, if you can find me a scientifically based argument that winter begins in November, I'd agree with you. But winter begins on the 1st of December. And I have the science in front of me. We had the same thing about autumn. I was right there. I'm right now. You know, I love this one. I always win it. 185715996 is the number. The text or WhatsApp 083 The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Also later on, the Britain's Got Talent star who is transgendering or trans transitioning to a woman. That's later on this morning. But first of all, what the hell was going on in Toker? on Saturday night. Now, Cork Bio had a good piece on this. They were saying that gangs of young people were engaged in what it describes as a fireworks battle in a tunnel under the main Tremor Road by, down by a river culvert. You know the area. If you're from around there, you know exactly where it is. It's a popular place for people walking and exercising. Can be a bit rough, though. Can be a bit rough down there, to be fair. But there's this big silver car driven into the crowd then you can see it's a video on Cork Bureau where they blurred out a lot of faces, but they still showed the video. Uh, people seen jumping on the car, smashing it up. Then it's driven into the culvert and set on fire. There was one arrest made. That was Saturday night in Toker. And there was quite a bit of antisocial behaviour going on around the town and around the suburbs on Saturday night. I guess, look, Halloween being Halloween, it brings all the crazies out, even if they are supposed to be locked up in their houses like the rest of us. Uh, Chris O'Leary is former Lord Mayor. Chris, uh, and just following social unrest around the, the city with young people and a youth worker by profession. Chris, good morning. Did you hear about this one to begin with? Um, I, I, I've, I, I've seen the footage, to be honest about it. Um, PJ, I mean, it's it's not what we'd like to, to, to see going out across the social media, to be honest about it. It's not a portrayal of, of our city, to be honest. You know, like when, when you look at um, the damage done... Um, the, the the possibility of loss of life there because it's so serious, um, and it's not too far away from garages as you know yourself. Yeah. 
Um, like there could have been serious damage done here um, and, and life lost, to be honest about it. Um, you know, we, we, we live in, a, in an era where we, we think that certain things um, at certain times of the year um, are, are, are acceptable. They're not. And communities have, have voiced their objections to um, fireworks are illegal. And the tons of fireworks that get into our communities at these at this time of year um, is just unbelievable. I mean, since early September, fireworks have been going off across the city. You yeah. know this, and I know this. We covered it. We covered it, Chris. We yeah. had it with a nice amount from people living in fear in parts of the Glen. Fireworks going over their heads. They go to the back now. They hear a certain noise. They duck. Yeah. Yeah, and, and not alone, like this might seem like fun to some people, but the damage to property, the burning, the scorching of roofs, um, sheds, um, you know, all, all of this thing, th- this is not fun. And um, also the anxiety to, to all the people or people that have a fear of, 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 of such loud, loud noises, animals, um, it, it, it really is becoming very um, mm. unacceptable at this stage. There's the unacceptable use of fireworks, but what went on here, and I know that you're, oh. you're only across it as much as the rest of us are, like this was criminal damage of the highest order. Well, without, without a doubt. I mean, look, look, the footage there that I've seen, and I know that it's blurred out and all that, I know the Gardaí have an investigation. I think the Gardaí um, need, need really step up to the to the place, really. They have an opportunity here through some of the footage, and there's a lot more of it going around um, on Instagram and so forth, but I, I think there's an opportunity here now to get prosecutions um, to make those that think that this is acceptable um, accountable, and whether the, what I, regardless of the age, there's no excuse here, if we had a situation, and we've seen it in, 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 in not so long, long ago, where people have been seriously injured. Their parents would be out in the regional hospital, standing over their bed, um, you know, saying that this was a desperate thing, you know, didn't think how dangerous it is. It is very dangerous. They, they were aiming fireworks at each other. Like again, the news is 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 um, I'm not sure. The early morning news that I watched this morning um, indicated that some some child in, um, got 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 a, a firework aimed at them into the face and has scarred for life. You know, we no, don't know here. about that, but that's just one yeah. of the stories that's going around. But Chris, as a youth and community worker yourself, mm. of many years standing, mm. what is or is there an identifiable cause of all this? Uh, look, I mean, I, okay, so I, 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 the first thing you have to be careful here, we're, we're not killjoys, that's not what we're talking about here, no. We're talking about uh, controlled and um, acceptable um, activities, to be honest about it. Um, I, I know that, you know, we all explore and that's part of the development. Some of the things that we've seen, like the, the driving of a car in, into a culvert, I mean, this is an underground tunnel which traffic flows over above, okay? Mm-hmm. Um you could just imagine the damage that could have been done, that 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 you know that could be done to that culvert in itself, the structural damage. If that, that car happened to blow up. If if the car happened to, if if they draw, if other other people were trapped on either side of that, um, that car inside in that tunnel, you know, I mean, the fumes. Um, the explosion, the backfire from the explosion. I mean, you know, most most young people, you know, like a bit of fun, and that, that there's no problem with that. But there is an element here of huge risk. Um, you know, the the element of what I would call a vicious um, a, attack on, on others, which 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 are lethal weapons in many respects, like rights and wrongs. 
you, you, you can't turn around to say, say, turn around to somebody and say, do you understand that, that what you did was wrong? And they say, no, no, this was a bit of fun. Yeah. Fun is at the, ex, uh, at the expense of somebody else. But fun, fun also is half of another word, Chris. Fun is oh, half is, of the word is, function. Is, yeah. What is yeah. the function of this behaviour? What What are they trying well, to this, do? It's dysfunctional behaviour, really, to be honest about yeah. it. I mean, the, the bottom line here at the end of the day is that this is unacceptable behaviour. You, 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 They wouldn't behave like this in home. You know, and and the, bo- the bottom line here is that it's not acceptable in the wider community. Like I've always made the point, and you've heard me time and time again that you know when people are in crisis and it's in their home, we have responses to that crisis. But when their crisis spill out into the community, then it becomes our um, our, our problem because now we have to deal mm-hmm. with it in a legal way or in a, in a way that will actually um, address the issue um, in, in, in what is not acceptable behaviour. Is it and acceptable about, to describe this as a, perhaps an extreme symptom but a symptom nonetheless of, of the boredom and uh, frustration of young people in the present times in which we live? I don't think I don't think that's an excuse to be to be honest about it. I, I think young people, in most cases, um, you know, still have a lot more freedoms than even other people in our society. Um, PJ, and um, saying that that this 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 is a, a follow-on from not being able to do anything. Look, I, I've heard it down through the years. You you, you know, you've heard it. Um, you know, unfortunately, when something happens, they'll say, "Oh, sure, there's nothing happening in our community for for, for young people." That's not true. Um, like I've walked in the services um, across the city, you, you could have up, up to 80 different organisations in the community support supporting young people. And even currently, while we talk about lockdown, there, there are organisations in communities supporting young people at the moment. So that's not an excuse. What I think this is, this is just um, young people, um, you know, on, on their weekend fun, they, they, you know, this, they, they meet up on weekends, most, most places, in places where they won't be disturbed. And that look, it happens right across all of our communities. We all know where they are, um, you know, whether, whether it be in, in, in here in Mahan or whether, whether it's in Blackrock or it's, whether it's in Rochestown or whatever. We, we've seen it, okay? So what, what's, what's happening here really is that this is an extreme. This is very much an extreme um, situation. And, and the only way to deal with an extreme situation like this is, is one, is, is to bring those people before a system at the moment, maybe the juvenile liaison or whatever. But like, they have to be accountable for their actions. There's, there's, there's an old, I think it's an African saying, forgive me if I'm wrong on the origin of mm. it, but it goes along the lines of the children neglected by the village will burn it down to feel the warmth of the fire. What? Is it that these people are rebelling against, these young people are rebelling against the way society treats them? Um, rebellion. You, you, look, you, you, you could say that at one level um, in the sense that, you know, young, young people feel hard done by, um, you know, because, because of the current lockdown or whatever. But, I, I mean, there, there are extreme situations um, that, that, that we, we've seen that, that don't warrant um, that rebellion, to be honest about it. Uh, young, young people can put their energies into other things as well, and they have done. I mean, during the lockdown, young people have been volunteering They've been across, across... They've been fantastic, the, uh, yes, without across question. Across the city, yeah. through, through, through the local calls, 
uh, community calls. Young, young people have been involved in, in getting packages ready for older people. You've seen it. I've seen it here in my own community where young people have been involved in, in, in supporting um, you know, older people in particular that have been faced with lockdown. Mags so, wants to take you up on something you said, Chris, a moment hmm. or two ago, which, forgive me, Mags, it, flowed, it went over my head, but I think I'd probably take you up the same way. Uh, the guard that you need to step up to the plate, you said. Seriously, says Mags, the guards can only do so much. It's the courts need to make an example of these little pups. There's no use the guards spending so long preparing files only for the courts to give a smack on the wrist. Hi, look, I, 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 I agree with that, but I, I suppose the, the one thing I would say about the Gardaí, um, to be fair to them, look, look, I have huge respect for the Gardaí. I work with a lot of them, to be to be honest, um, PJ. What what I'm probably getting at there, and I, I, Mags is right to pull me up on it, um, I, I'm looking at the numbers. We don't have the numbers. Like, we, we, we have serious depletion of Gardaí across the city. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, especially they're, they're, they're drawn into everything, and, and government has drawn them into everything at the moment under covert, right? And I, I just think that community policing, in, in, in many respects, it, it actually is the heartbeat of our communities with regards to challenging and tackling issues like this. And we, we, have, we have probably, in many respects, you know, um, you know, not invested enough in community policing because the community guards who we see out on the bikes and I see it here in my own in my own community they've, they've done brilliant work they respond on weekends to situations like this here in my community and I'm aware of it mm. but like we don't have enough of them because by the time by the time they're the the shifts are on and they they, they rotate the shifts to to, to be um, yeah. to be on the ground because one of the major guard stations it, in the whole city is only well, a stone's literally well, a stone's tough. Well, I I I I'll tell you, I I made a call um, to my local guard guard station on Saturday night because of an instance of egging. Right, houses being egged. Um, I was I, I I phoned the number and I was put straight through to talker. Yeah. No, Choker normally, being the headquarters, which would be for this place as well. This, well, this. Well, well no, no, sorry, not normally it's Angus Street. All right. Okay, so so if I if I ring my local guard station and to us in the evening time, it was it, it was about maybe um, seven o'clock thereabouts. Um, I was put straight through to Toker. Um, normally it would be Angus Street. I, I I said to the guard, look, I'm sorry, I, I thought I was getting through to uh, uh, the Black Rock Station or Angus Street. So it, it shows me that there 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 is a shortage there as much as anywhere else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that's a problem. Now I, I would have presumed, look, the Toker guard he said that they would they would try to get a car to respond to the issues and and so forth. But look, the bottom line here, and I know it every weekend. I know it at times that that, that the guardy. Um, are depleted, and, and it's great to hear the, the commissioner uh, and the guard chief talking about their their new programs and stuff like that. But unless we have the numbers to do the work on the ground, then all the lovely programs and all the lovely initiatives um, won't make it won't won't make any um, input input into um, what we're talking about. And, and, and I'm not being critical of. of, of no, the to be fair, that, you've more than clarified your position there. You know, now, to be, and so, I think it's, it's one we've had on the show from time to time, and several times over the last couple of months. We just don't have enough guards. And, on the and Mags, Mags is right. I, I mean, look, look, we we have people appearing. We might have individuals appearing before the the, the courts. And um, I, I, I think the, the, the judicial system has to address this issue um, at times with, with, with repeat offenders not being able to have a revolving door situation. And I think for first-time offenders and stuff like that, there are programmes there, very good programmes there. And again, these depend on, on the GLO system and so forth being, being equipped 
properly to be able to deal with the people that come out of that system from the courts. All right. Okay. Thank you, Chris. Leave it there. 1850715996. Former Lord Mayor Chris O'Leary and a youth and community worker for, for many, many years. Like, why do they do this? Of course, on WhatsApp, a message. They were on COVID-19 checkpoints instead of being available to patrol the suburbs. There was, Kate, it was Carrigaline Playground, wasn't it, that got an awful yeah. doing at the weekend? Yeah. No, they tried to set fire in the playground and um, it was taped off yesterday morning and closed. But we've been asking for years for this playground to be closed at night. I was on to Ballancolic and Bandon and they closed their park every single night. is closed and it's closed by the council. But they just won't close it here. And this stuff costs a fortune to replace. Yeah. Absolute fortune. Any little bit of equipment that's damaged, it costs a package. But there is a and fence it, and a gate, isn't need, there? Yeah, but the gate is it's never locked. And oh. all it is is a lock and a key and some fellow to come along and say, look, it's dark now, it's closed. There's a sign up in Balancolic and there's a sign in Bandon that says, this park closes at such a time. And then that's it, and they close it. And it's the same in Balancholic and in Bandon, because they told us, the the actual officers told us. So would they ever just close it at night? There's no business to be in there at night anyway. Yeah. And it's always been damaged, and there's always people drinking in there and glass around the place. It's got to be done now, because we cannot afford to be getting equipment replaced the whole time. No, you know? no, no, okay? no. All right, great. Thank you, Kate, in Carrigaline. Yeah, a lot of damage done. I was hearing about this. A lot of damage done to the playground in Carrigaline over the weekend and in the last few days. What? I don't just don't get it. I just don't get it, this idea that you can just go break up public equipment, playgrounds for children. What gets into people? Councillor John Maher on Twitter says, there's no excuse. It's unfortunate these things happen, but the majority of our young people don't partake in it. Parents need to know where little Johnny or Mary is every night. There are more community guards they needed and tougher laws to deal with repeat offenders. And you know what? You're right, John. The majority don't. But too many still do take part in this kind of thing. Can you imagine you've been within watching distance of what happened there by that culvert in Toker on Saturday night? Imagine being an elderly person who likes to walk a little dog around in the day or you're out for your bit of exercise in your 5k limit and this little culvert, this little walk is part of where you go and you see this going on, she'd be terrified to walk in there at any time of the day or night. Now, it just makes places no-go areas for ordinary people who don't break the law and don't burn cars and don't drive cars into culverts and don't throw fireworks at each other. It's those people we have to stand up for. What happens when you get one of them arrested? They go into court. If they're old enough, first of all, they get brought into court, filed for the DPP. They might get charged. What will you get then? You'll get some hand-wringing barrister or social worker or probation officer explaining about their misfortunate childhood. That's the kind of crap that makes guards just hold their head in their hands and go, why do we bother? 1850-715-996. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Helping the homeless has never been more important. The Briar Rose and Douglas are proud to be lending a hand through their Reach Out to Another campaign. On the last Sunday of every month in the run-up to Christmas, they'll be hosting a collection point outside the Briar Rose and are asking people within five kilometres of the venue to donate sandwiches, crisps, fruit and other snacks, as well as warm winter clothes in good condition condition for both men and women. The collection will
will be taking place between midday and four on Sunday the 29th of November. Staff members from the Briar Rose will be volunteering their time to run the collection point and hand out the donations the next day on Oliver Plunkett Street outside the GPO. For more information, search for the Briar Rose Douglas on Facebook and Instagram. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Eileen asks a very pertinent question, actually. Why are the parents letting them out? We've level five now. They can't say they're just going off to visit a friend, because that's not allowed, or watch a movie, because the cinemas aren't open. If your kid is leaving the house at that hour on Halloween night, you should know damn well where they are, and you should know, or you should realise they're probably up to something. Yeah, it was a Halloween when we're all supposed to be staying at home. There's nothing, nothing to go to, there's nothing open, there's no pubs, no bars, no, no restaurant, nothing. So where were they going? And, and should the parents not be saying, sorry, where exactly are you going? Who are you going to be with? And why are you going out at all? We're supposed to be staying at home. Very good point, Eileen. Very good point. And Pat says, Chris spoke really well, I'm sick of young people whinging. They're not being asked to fight a war or join the army. And it's not all about them. It's not fun for any of the community. And where are the parents says Pat, 1850-715-996. We've talked over the last weeks and months about COVID-19 and the way in which is it, or the ways in which it is transmitted and passed from one to the other. And for many weeks now, people have been looking towards the winter and telling us that it is going to be even easier to pick this thing up in winter, because in the summertime, we were able to get out and about and we were grand. And in the open air, we were a lot safer. But now we're moving indoors and it's going to cause a big problem. Just before I go to that, they're telling us in the news, in the national and the local radio news, that the number of cases have gone down nationally over the last few days. So I decided to take a look before we came on air at the hub. And I had a look at the numbers. And indeed, here in Cork, we have a little bit of a trend going. Nothing to get too excited about, I know. But the November, November the 1st, that was yesterday, the 14 days up to November the 1st in Cork, we had 1,485 new cases, which is per 100,297. All right? That's over up to, up to yesterday. Go back the week before to the 30th of or the 25th, rather, of October. And our 14-day figure up to then was 1,832, which is 366 cases per 100,000. That's So in other words, we've come from 366 down to 297. And the 18th of October, we had 334 per 100,000. So we've had a little bit of a drop. A little bit of a drop reflects what we're hearing in the national picture, but nothing to write home about just yet. But looking to the winter... I'm joined by Professor John Wenger from the School of Chemistry at, at UCC uh, to talk about why we need to be more concerned about COVID heading into the winter because we're going to spend more time indoors. John, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. You've done some serious research on the transmissibility as an aerosol of COVID-19 and it's a real problem. That's right. 
So what we know at, at the moment is that this is probably the main way that the virus is being transmitted. We know it's spread indoors and it's spread by breathing in infected air, so air containing the virus. So how does it get there? It comes from people that already have the virus in their body and they breathe it out or they talk. When they talk, tiny aerosol particles are emitted and these are small enough that they remain in the air. They float around in the air. And obviously in outdoor environments, things like the wind can blow them away, but obviously in indoor places, then they can just hang around. And if there is a poorly ventilated space, like a room that has closed doors and closed windows, for example, then the level of the virus can build up. You can, if you spend more time in that space, then you will increase your exposure, you increase the risk, and you're more likely to catch the virus. Mm. Ventilation is the key, you say? It is, and that's why, you, I mean, we all know at this stage the schools have their doors and windows open even though the weather's getting colder, but certainly the way to do this is to flush out the virus. So if there is somebody in the room that uh, uh, has the virus and they're breathing it out, uh, the way to do it is, is, to, is to dilute it, is to, uh, is to ventilate, open the doors and windows, and um, in situations where that's not very uh, likely or very easy to do, then we need to think about air filtration. So, you know, about air conditioning systems and HVAC systems in buildings and so on. We need to make sure that we filter the air uh, to remove the virus as well. So that's another Mm. way of getting rid of the virus in air. The natural thing in the wintertime is to come in, close the door, close the windows, turn on the heat and and try to keep the weather out. But in fact, we're, we're not helping ourselves. We're not, you know, and um, I mean, this, this is why we have the restrictions in place now in level five, not to meet indoors in other households. Uh, I think even in the home, where people are saying that, of course, the virus is spread in the home. And so we just need to be careful there, too. Um, I think it's good practice anyway to uh, have, have a window open during the day, for sure, and uh, maybe just open the door or ventilate every now and again. We don't have to have the windows full open all the time. Just even a crack, I think, um, can, can make a difference. You know, mm. certainly when I was meeting friends um, indoors uh, later part of the summer and so on, I certainly was making sure that we had our windows open or doors open just to make sure. And I think distancing is important as well. I mean, distancing is really a key thing in indoor environment. You know, I mean, people are talking very much now that it's not just the one thing that can uh, help to uh, reduce spread of the disease. It's lots of things. There's not a silver bullet here. It is distancing. It is wearing masks. Mm. ventilation, it is hygiene, you know, and cleaning frequently touched surfaces. It's all of these things that we need to uh, to use to protect ourselves from um, from picking up the virus. Yeah. What's air conditioning in terms of danger? How where, where does that stand? I mean, where we work here now, for example, you can't exactly open a window in a radio studio and it's a, right. it's a pretty much a sealed box bar at the door. We have air conditioning. I personally couldn't work without air conditioning, but is it dangerous? Not if it's done properly. Obviously, you just need to filter the air. Uh, at the moment, I think the guidance is to make sure that you do not recirculate air, okay? Um, you actually filter the air, and also you take in outside air. That's very important, okay? Mm. Um, so that you don't, re- you don't reuse the indoor air. You actually take uh, outside air. Um, so so that's, that's the advice. And I think that building managers would have followed those uh, those guidelines already. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's been the case. You know, certainly in UCC, for example, that they're doing all of these things. And there is good guidance on that from the uh, 
certainly from the organisations that uh, advise people. Yeah. I think you've been a little bit critical, John, of the World Health Organisation for the attention it's put placing on this, or rather not placing on it. Yeah, so I mean, the, the messaging that was out, you remember going back to, to March, it's, it's coughing and sneezing, it's uh, touching surfaces and so on. All the evidence really now points to touching surfaces as not being that important, in fact. Uh, sure, there might well be very frequently touched surfaces, um, but uh, all this obsessive cleaning uh, around the house or, or wiping down groceries or, you know, it, it, it really doesn't seem to make a difference um, because really the most common way that the virus is spread is through the air. Okay, some of these droplets, as they call them, can fly out of the mouth uh, from coughing or sneezing or even talking, and, and, but, but they fall to the ground very quickly. It's the small particles that, that are really important here. So the WHO has not really shifted its position very strongly on that. There is indications that they're moving. Um, I've been talking about this for quite some time now to get greater recognition of the role of aerosols. It's already been accepted as such because, you know, people are wearing masks, okay? And um, there's also ventilation is getting out there even though, uh, so some of the guidance coming from WHO has not been uh, appropriate in that way. So I think that um, we need to improve the messaging uh, mm. to the public to make sure that they take all the precautions that will help protect them. And I mean, we know we all know now it's a, it's a shared responsibility we have mm. uh, to act to fight back against. COVID-19. The old habit that the Irish mammies had, and my wife does it, and I used to say, God almighty coming in in the afternoon and the house is breezy. She opens the window, all the windows, every morning before she goes out to work, all the upstairs windows, so there's a breeze going through the house. Now that's grand in July, not so grand in January, but she's doing the right thing. She is. We do it. We do it. I think it's it's, it's a natural thing to, to air the place, you know. Um, and I think, you know, clean air is our friend in this pandemic. We try to remember that. Um, I mean, I'm not sure uh, how, how much your listeners think about this, but I mean, I think about it in a car, for example, you know, during the school run, um, just, just wind down the window, yeah. right, to, to make sure that, um, you know, it doesn't get a build-up. Okay, it might only be five or ten minutes in the car, but we, we don't know. I mean, you, you just eliminate that risk. Yeah. Um, so wind down the window in, in, in the car. Um, in the home, if you have family around, even if you're in your social bubble, just to be safe, why not just crack open the window a small bit um, and, and still keep a distance if you can. You know, yeah. these, this is difficult situations to be in, I know, and as we're facing in towards Christmas and all the rest of it, I mean, uh, it's going to be very difficult to manage, but we've just got to do our best. Well, well I think you're, you're saying, John, in very simple layman's terms is fresh air dilutes this virus and makes it less transmissible. So the more fresh, clean air that we have coming into any surroundings, the better. Absolutely. It's as simple as that, you know, and um, I mean, people in the summer had the opportunity to have uh, meetings and, and people hang out in the garden and so on. So we were able to go outdoors. All right. Um, it, it's less likely now. The weather's shocking, as we know, and uh, people are indoors. But you just got to make sure you open the windows and keep the air clean. And, and, and that is going to be one of the best defences you've got against uh, spreading okay. the disease. All right, John, thank you very much, Professor John Wenger.
from the Department of Chemistry and Environmental Research at UCC. Thank you. Open the windows. The habit, I was laughing about this, Queen Bee has been doing it for years. She got it from her mother. My own mother does it. I think everybody's mother did it, or grandmother did it at some stage. When you get up in the morning, before that, everyone goes out of the house, you open the upstairs window, let the breeze come through. It's grand in July. It's lovely in July. Not so lovely in January or February. But the right thing to do. Absolutely the right thing to do in terms of this COVID-19 because if there's any virus in the house, that little bit of a draft will blow it out the window. Will dissipate it, will render it, well not harmless, but less harmful than it might be. 1850-715-996, some stuff coming in on that incident in Toker or other stuff incidents relating to it. Sheila says it's not as easy anymore to tell them they can't go out. Times have changed. It's all their rights now and what they want You hear a lot about loving children, about making memories for them and so on, and we try to do that. But there's very little talk on radio or TV or in the papers about what's expected of children and how to parent for that, except when there's an incident like this. We were all brought up to stay in, to respect a grounding, to respect other members of a community, but then we were told other ways. We were not told how to argue or restrain or discipline with a child who doesn't want to hear and just thinks about their popularity and their squad or their tribe, or whatever you call it. But you kind of try to teach them, don't you, from when they're little. Yes, you make the memories. Yes, you love them. Yes, you encourage them to be the best they can. But you've got to teach them rules. You've got to teach them right from wrong. We're the first teachers of our children. And if we don't teach them right from wrong, who will? And the things that were wrong when we were kids are still wrong. No matter how modern it might sound to be cool and all that. Re-anti-social behaviour, PJ, the most of these parents are drunk at home and couldn't care less. Cut the social welfare and then they might know what their kids are doing. Well, it's a bit of a generalisation, my friend. We don't know anything about the children or the young people involved on Saturday night. We don't know what their families do, what their income... There could be, listen, there could be their families. There could be the children of barristers and the children of judges and engineers and doctors. They could. Quite easily. You don't know. Did you see Priorswood in Dublin, says Antoinette? The riot squad out and 10 arrested in a pitch battle between guards and 400 junkers. That's what happens when you let things go to head or go to hell. And Una, morning from West Cork. Come on, lads, where are the parents of these little scumbags? The guard are always blamed for everything. We were all young once and certainly didn't go out and act like that. Uh, this lockdown should include an 8 o'clock curfew. And if you're out after 8 o'clock, it's an on-the-spot fine of €500 euro, and make sure you'll pay it. And don't laugh because that's already there in Paris now. I'm not too sure if it's €500 euro fine, but there is now a fine in certain parts of France, and I think they're trying to do it in Spain as well, where there's a curfew of, say, 9 or 10 p.m. And if you're out, unless you are out for a good reason that you can verify, it's a hefty fine. What exactly is going on with this Leo Varadkar story. The, the gist of it is that there was a contract agreed between the government and the Irish Medical Organisation and that Leo, when he was Taoiseach, gave a copy, leaked a copy of this contract to his friend, Matthew O'Toole, who was the president at the time of the National Association of General Practitioners, the NAGP, a rival group, to the IMO, they kind of, it was kind of a split. 
Is Leo in trouble? Can he get out of this? Did he do anything particularly wrong? Inappropriate, yes, wrong. Village magazine said they stand over their story that he handed a copy or he leaked a copy of this important contract from one agreed with the IMO to the NAGP. And he they stand over their story. He says it's inaccurate and grossly defamatory. Now he's under pressure to explain himself in the Doyle. There's been an admission over the weekend that, look, it wasn't in the best interest. It wasn't exactly appropriate. What he did, is he in trouble? Sean Defoe, political correspondent. Sean, good morning. Morning. Is he in trouble? Uh, he is in hot water. Uh, how far that's going to go, uh, it's hard to tell at this point. So he is going to be giving a statement to the Dáil tomorrow and there's going to be further questions, of course, from the opposition. I think actually uh, what will be a very interesting tone setter for this week is at 11 o'clock this morning, Tishik Micheál Martin is doing a press conference actually about a, a jobs launch, a separate issue entirely. But of course, the, the issue that will dominate it is this and how much he is going to stand behind the tonish to uh, Leo Varadkar in this. Does he accept his version of events? And I think the, the tone of that will really set the rest of the week because if he is four square behind him, if he comes out and says, yes, see, OK, this shouldn't have been done and he shouldn't have leaked this uh, in the way that he did or shouldn't have handed it over, but that his story stacks up, that the information was already out there by and large with the IMO and was merely being shared to the NAGP, uh, albeit being shared in, you know, it should have gone through official channels rather than in the way it did, then I think we, we could see uh, some not quite a fizzling out of this story. There will still be a lot of talk about it. But if he does have full square, the support of the T-shirt, that does change things and hardens his position on it. There's a key question at the centre of this, which I don't think I heard asked across the weekend, and it's this, Sean. Did he actually break the law if, the, if he did what he did? It, certainly it has been asked this morning and the Justice Minister, Alan Malcolm, he fully denies that. He said there, there was no breach of the law here. In some of the statement from uh, Leo Varadkar at the weekend, he did uh, address a couple of the claims from the Village magazine, for example, uh, that he breached the Official Secrets Act and he said he didn't because um, politicians or members of the Oireachtas certainly uh, don't, are, are not bound by that particular act. It's public office holders excluding members of the Oireachtas and he did go through a couple of the other claims in the Village magazine in relation to the Criminal Justice Corruption Act uh, in relation to the Dole Members Code of Conduct, etc., and sets out his view as to why he thinks that it hasn't been breached. Certainly, there hasn't been a further legal opinion on that. This is the opinion of the Tornished, obviously, in consultancy with his own uh, legal counsel uh, as to whether this, this he has bro- broken the law, but that will have to be assessed again by the, by the Taoiseach and by other people to see if he has. It, it is the, the claim of Fine Gael that he hasn't. Yeah. Seamus makes an interesting point here, Sean. He said for the next few years, because of his current portfolio in in Cabinet, Leo will be dealing with unions and other such organisations. And it could well be brought up, look, if you show your hand to a minister, it could be exposed to your rivals. Could could be costly for him in, in terms of that area of his portfolio. Well, definitely. I mean, how do you as any union trust now going in and, and negotiating, wondering if your document or if your agreement is going to be leaked to a rival union or to, to anybody else for that matter? And I think where that may come to a, a very early head is in negotiation on another public sector pay deal. That's at a, a very, very early stage. It's obviously been delayed because of COVID. The current one uh, had it, its very last increment uh, done towards the end of this year or I think just in the last few weeks. So the, that is still to come and Neil Baranko will indeed be playing a huge part in that, how much this affects that stakeholder buy-in is a huge question and it does 
also tarnish that image that he has had around Gavin. He has had an image as a as kind of a straight-talking minister that you can go in and you can talk to him, and particularly in negotiations like that, you can say, you know, you can talk fairly straight up and have a good negotiation. But if you're thinking, God, is this going under the table now to somebody else, that certainly will affect the government's reputation with trade unions. Does it threaten his leadership of Fine Gael? I don't think so at the moment. Certainly there is no no suggestion of that within the party and there are a lot of ministers and junior ministers have been out over the last 24 hours defending him. He is seen within Fine Gael really as their strongest weapon. He is one of the most popular party leaders and if you look at any of the polls over the last while, uh, Fine Gael have been riding high with a, a big support for Leo Riker. Indeed, he's kind of been uh, dubbed around Leinster House the Teflon Taoiseach and that nothing has stuck to him so far. This is the one that may well do that, however, and it's going to put that moniker under the most stress. I think where the pressure is going to come won't be internally within Fine Gael, but it's going to be among his government party colleagues. So in Fianna Fáil and the Green Party talking to people over the weekend, there's a huge amount of unease about this, about the uh, how it was handled and how it was done, but also the message it sends, this idea of a kind of a golden circle of friends leaking to each other, this, uh, you know, government and, and high-flying doctors or high-flying other people um, being able to get their hands on, on documents that the rest of us don't conferring an advantage from that. There's a lot of people from within Fianna Fáil quite annoyed and want to see more answers from the Tónishta and again from the Green Party as well. I think Gushin Smith, the junior minister, very strong at the weekend, not accepting the version of events as it is and saying there needs to be more information from Leo Riker. What does he need to do to make this go away? Well, he needs to have secured the support of the Taoiseach for, uh, for a first. He did speak to him on Saturday. I don't think they had any sort of a contact yesterday. And as I said, uh, at 11 o'clock, we'll learn just how strong that support from Micheál Martin is. If he has done that and rallied the support of Fine Gael in behind him as well and can get the Greens on side, then he's going to be OK no matter what. But in terms of the wider reputational damage, he's going to have to give a very full and frank account in the Dáil tomorrow because there are questions over the timeline in his statements that when um, this particular doctor, or this particular document rather, was given to the NAGP Finnegan are claiming that most of this information was publicly available or certainly available to the IMO. Yes, um, a week after that particular date in the Dáil, Stephen Donnelly was stood up saying, uh, as in his role as opposition health spokesperson at the time that he hadn't had sight of mm. it and that a lot of the stakeholders hadn't had sight of it. So there is questions over the timeline and he definitely needs to settle those. Needs to make a lot, a lot very clear in the next couple of days. Thank you Sean for that. Sean Defoe, a political correspondent. We'll follow this. Um, we thought the only political story we'd be watching this week would be uh, De Donald versus De Biden. We'll be watching that one but this will be interesting. This will be very, very interesting to see where it goes. Like, you could argue over the weekend that Dara Kaleri and, and Barry Cowan got shafted for less. You could argue that. I'm sure others would argue again, yeah, but you could still argue it. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Coming up, if you're a fan of Britain's Got Talent, a little memory for you and a little follow-on story from that memory in just a moment. But some uh, some responses still coming in to the antisocial behaviour that we highlighted in the first hour of the show out in Toker, where a car was destroyed, driven into a culvert, burnt, a firework fight, just some very nasty Halloween night shenanigans in, in Toker and Sheila was answering something I said there before 10 about parenting she said can I just answer what PJ said yes I tried it all in the past you'd have had some kind of book to hand like Dr. Spock or playful parenting or 
parenting for dummies, depending on what year you're talking about. But even the handbooks of the 90s would be deemed to be cruel now. You're told you're creating trauma or you're not hearing their pain or you're not getting to the root of the problem. You always have very good, obedient children, but you get these fellows who just won't accept anything. They want to explore excitement, explore bad friends, explore living on the wild side. When you go looking for help, you're told there's nothing you can do. When I wasn't a parent, I would have called for mediation in schools. But I now realise it just makes the obedient kids happier and more obedient. But it does nothing for the wild ones or nothing to help their behaviour. Anyway, well, Sheila, I've always said, and I know that in 20 years' time, somebody will write about it. We've gone crazy now on this live your best life, darling nonsense, right? Which means that discipline's gone out the window. And the things that they get away with now with 15, 16 and 17, my outlook, God be good to him, would never have left me away. My mother would never have left me away. Would they instill discipline in me? And we don't do that now. There's an awful lot of, oh, you've got to be kind and be all this discipline is discipline is discipline. If you don't raise them with discipline, they won't know what it is. You make the first set of rules they need to follow. Yeah, I'll be challenged on that now and I really don't care. Listener says she witnessed parents dropping kids off with bags of drink in the Balavalan area Saturday night. Saw one young girl who was so drunk it took four people to lift her. Wants to know, how should local residents react to this? Should they take number plates and give it to the guards? You could try. You sure could try. On email, Michael says, we've heard many people express concern for the young people and the effect COVID restrictions are having on them. Sunday last, I was jogging in Douglas at half six. Oh, I know this, Michael. He does that every morning. I met a young person. As we passed, I said, early start for you. The reply was, I'm on my home from a house party. Let's see. Three people seriously assaulted in Carrigaline recently. No action taken. Is there, if there's no deterrent, is it any wonder that the young crowd, young amok, says Paul, run amok, says Paul. Eugene, young offenders like those should be just hoovered up by the guards and sent to a very uncomfortable boot camp for four to six weeks. Video of their wrongdoing should be enough proof. Make it law. Who the heck owns the country? Us or them, says Eugene. And Michael says we should label them black and tans because they terrorise the communities that they live in. I think at the moment, a lot of them won't be named over their youth, but they must get shamed. At the moment, what motivates them is praise from their scummy friends. You need to make it symmetrical, if you like. Don't know what the last bit means, but I get your point. Michael. 1850-715-996. Here's a little television memory. Hello, my love. What's your name? My name is Dara McGann. And what do you do for a day job? I'm a taxi driver, yes. cab driver. Yes. And I've been doing this for the last 18 years. Right. And over that time, I've picked up a reputation as being the singing cab driver. Oh, that sounds good. And I... In peace until you call. David, yes or no? 
Olympic, yes. Thank you. A yes from me as well. Dara, for you? Yes. There's a memory of when Dara McGann flew the Cork flag with pride at the uh, Britain's Got Talent auditions a few years ago. He lifted the roof off the auditorium with that big voice of his. Over the last few weeks... Those of us who follow Dara on Facebook and those of us who know him a bit better than that have, have watched and read and listened with interest as he decided to cross a huge line in his life. I've been talking to him about that over the last day or two. Dara, you and I have known each other a long time. We've known each other, I think, since you were the, the singing taxi driver on Britain's Got Talent. Uh, this, has it been a long time coming? That's a strange question, I know, but has it been? Well, firstly, PJ, I would say we know each other a lot longer. And it would go back to an organisation called Know My Own. Um, back in the day, dealing with uh, adopted people and biological families, I'm very concerned at the moment, PJ, everything that's going on with mother and baby homes and the sealing of records. But uh, to get back to your question, yes, this has been an issue for me since as long as I can remember, certainly around the ages of eight and nine in school, I felt completely different, totally different um, to the point when I went into secondary, well, primary school was just a killer. I was always being bullied. I was always being called sissy. And, you know, kids can be horrible and they come up with horrible names. But then when I went into secondary school and we all face into puberty, for me, that was a living torment, a living hell. And as I think back to that time, I, I self-harmed during puberty because I was so in... I was in disgust with my body. Did, did you know why you were disgusted with your body? Did you have the understanding, the emotional understanding to know why? I suppose I didn't, um, to be honest. That was back in the late 80s, early 90s, when nothing like this was ever spoken about. And I suppose growing up in a very religious family, um, I didn't have brothers and sisters. I had nobody to talk to, I had nobody to refer to. I certainly didn't have close friends in school that I could sit down over a cup of tea, as we would do now, and say, listen, I, I don't feel right. Hmm. So I just had to try and deal with this myself. You were you were a staunch Catholic as a young fellow, weren't you? You still are, I think. Oh, well, no, I wouldn't use the, the word staunch today. Yeah. Certainly back then, yes, I was. I was an altar server for eight going on nine years. I was involved in church choirs. I was very much involved in church. It was the very central part of my life. Hmm. You even went away to be a priest at one stage, didn't you? I did, the shock horror of it, if you think back now. who Dara going for priesthood? Yeah, I did. But in 1991, when I finished the Leaving Cert, I went off for a year to Thurlis. Uh, but I had to get out of there after a year. It wasn't for me. Hmm. As long as I know you, I've known you were gay. You, were, you weren't really out, but I think everybody, those who were close to you, knew. When did the feeling that there was more to it than that. When did that come about? I suppose when I came out as gay, and I'm going back 10 years ago, 
I always knew in my heart of hearts that this was only a stopgap. I wasn't really dealing with the real truth. And, you know, talking to my mum now or talking to parents, um, they, they will accept their child in any way in any way that they are. But parents will secretly worry that it's a difficult life for anybody who is gay or lesbian. And yes, it can be. But for me, it was to be able to spend time with non-judgmental, very much accepting people in the LGBTQI community. And I felt so at home there. But I still knew I wasn't going the full distance. I was holding back because I didn't know how my mom would react. And as far as I was concerned, she was the central part of my life. You're very close to your mom. She's what, is she 84 now? She'll thank you for saying that, PJ. She's actually 86. But, you know, she's a great bit of stuff. I took her away to Kerry. We were staycationing back in August. And I suppose that time away together and we were relaxed, we were chilled out, we were in a very happy place. I think that is what gave me the confidence to decide I need to come out to mum. I think she can handle this. I think she'll accept it. And that was really what spurred me on. It was quite a remarkable conversation because you blogged about it on Facebook. Describe what happened. Well, I sat down with mum one morning and I said to her, I need to have a chat with you. She said, is there something wrong? Well, maybe. Oh, God, she said, don't tell me it's your health. Well, not exactly. I said, medically, I'm fine, but everything else is not fine. I said, look, mum, I know you were so upset when I came out as gay because you felt in your hearts of hearts that I wasn't really gay. And I said, maybe there was an element of truth in that. The fact of the matter is, I'm what they call, the clinical term is transgender. I said, I've been with a clinical psychologist for seven years. And by the way, PJ, she knew I was attending this psychologist right. down in Clannacilty. And I said, look, mom, I can't hide this anymore. I can't deny this anymore. Um, what I'm trying to say to you, what's well, so she? I know what you're saying. Um, you're actually a girl on the inside. And I said, how do you know that? And she said, do you not see the weight lifting off my shoulders? She said, Dar, I've known this about you since you were a very young age. And my biggest regret is that I never had the courage to talk to you about it. But she said, you must understand, bringing you any child up in the late 70s into the 80s, the 90s, who could you talk to? And she said, honestly, who amongst my friends could I go and talk to about this? They'd probably think I was mad. And she said they were probably right, but I just could not. I didn't have the words. I didn't know what to do, and I'm so sorry. But she said, what are you going to do about it? You are, if you don't mind me saying so, and have always been a big emotional lump. Yeah. That must have been an amazing moment for you. It was. My eyes welled up. Um, I was smiling from ear to ear, looking at mum. I could see the weight lifted off her shoulders. And I was kicking myself because I felt, I don't know this woman at all. This woman that has been a mother to me for 47 years, I thought I knew her. I didn't know her at all. I could have had this conversation with her 30 years ago, but I had 
myself pinned into a corner and I was just afraid. But she said, you need to get on and do whatever you need to get on with. Well, I said, Mom, I, I, I need to transition. I need to be me. Right, okay, that's fine. Well, she said, I want to give you two words of advice. I said, yeah, shoot, go for it. Firstly, she said, when you're dressing, dress elegantly. I said, okay. And secondly, she said, when you're going for surgery on top, as in breast augmentation, for goodness sake, don't go too big at all because they'll sag as you get older. (laughs) And I said, mom, you know, I love you for saying that, but I, I hate to burst your bubble. I said, they'll be implants and they don't sag. <laughs> and she, but it was just an amazing conversation. Had you any inkling at all when you began that conversation? And I think, Dara, I'm asking on behalf of people who are thinking about that conversation, who are dreading and sweating that conversation and losing sleep about it. Had you any idea that this would be the response from the person who is the centre of your world? Well, I certainly had hope. Um, Knowing how badly the conversation went 10 years ago, telling her that her only child was gay and seeing her reaction, But I have to go back to when I was around 13 or 14. And she knew I was self-harming. And I'm quite certain that she would have put two and two together. All the time, down through my years, she's always said, Dara, the only thing I want for you is to be happy. And I suppose I felt, well, if I can be honest with her and she can see the happiness in my face, she will she will accept it, that it's not just a fad, it's not just somebody on an attention-seeking route, which I have been accused of, by the way, by one particular person. She will know, and being a woman, she'll know what it's like to be a woman. So, um, yeah, and I would say this to anybody out there that's listening, that's thinking about having that conversation, don't think you know your parents, because I almost thought I knew my mum and I didn't. I didn't give her the credit for being so open. As I said, I thought I knew the woman. And having gone through what she went through last year with health scares and issues like that, I thought I knew her. But honest to God, PJ, I didn't know her at all. Because at 86, to be able to open her heart and open her mind to embrace this, she made me sad um, shortly after that because I knew she was very quiet in herself. And I said, Mom, what's wrong? She said, Dar, I feel as if I'm losing my little boy. I said, Mom, I get you, but I got news for you. She said, what's that? I said, you're not losing your little boy. You're gaining his twin sister. That's a lovely way of putting it. What happens now? What's the next step? You went to the doctor. Well, yeah, I went to see my GP. I said, well, I, I spoke to him before I spoke to Mum. Because he'd know a mum as well as I do, or as I, well as I thought I did. And he would be in a position to advise me. And even he said to me, Dar, you have nothing to be afraid of there. I'd say she already knows. But I went back to my psychologist in Clannacilty to get the ball rolling. And had this come up with the psychologist before? Well, that was the reason I went to see her seven years ago. 
um, I, w- I had had an experience in Dublin through a very dear friend of mine who has since passed, but her son um, was big into drag in Dublin. And I, I said to her, oh, my God, Trez, I always wanted to do that. I remember you doing that. You, you, you did a lot of the Dublin drag scene for a short period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a few cameo appearances, shall we say. They didn't pay me enough to be there regularly. Um, but I went with a friend of mine. Her name was Trez Kyo. God be good for a beautiful, beautiful lady. And she brought me to Dublin to visit her son, Luke who came around to this hotel that we were staying in. He blackened out all the wi- all the mirrors and everything. And he had everything. He had wigs, makeup, you name it. And he did everything. And until I was right, only then would he let me look in the mirror and I cried because it was the first time I was looking at me. Um, I suppose PJ, people that know me, you'd know me so long. I always wore a beard or a goatee. And the yeah. reason I did that, it was to hide. I could not look at me in the mirror without it because I'd, I'd go mad. And that's what gender dysphoria does because you, you see the person you want to be. You, you see her there. Or if you're a, a female transitioning to male, you see him. And you try and hide away from it because it's too painful to deal with. And that's, that's what I did. But having that experience in Dublin doing drag uh, led me to go and seek out somebody that I knew would understand where I was coming from. And I researched and I found Dr. Lisa Brinkman in Clonakilty, who specializes in gender affirmation um, and all sorts of gender issues, sexual identity and all that. And I went to meet with her and the first meeting we had I was a blubbering mess. I, I cried for an hour. It was a wonder that the, the river in Clannacilty didn't overflow its banks. Um, and at the end of it, she said, you, you want to know the truth? I said, I, I do. But she said, Dara, be happy. I know you, you're transgender. Wow, what? A, I mean, to hear those words and to, for somebody to professionally tell me that I wasn't mad or crazy. Mm. Um, just meant the world. So I worked with her. I used to go once a month to see her initially um, from 2013 right up to now. Uh, I I hadn't seen her in the last 12 months, I suppose, with COVID and with mum's health and everything. But I went back to see her there, what, six, seven weeks ago, and I said, I'm ready to make the next step. Mm-hmm. And she was so happy and so overjoyed. So... Initially, I started working with a gender clinic in the UK called Gender GP. And the reason for that is that the, the health services in Ireland for transgender people is pretty, pretty bad, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's probably back in the dark ages. Um, there's, up to last year, there was a five-year waiting list to get seen by an endocrinologist in St. Column Kills Hospital in Lachlanstown. Hmm. Um, now there's another endocrinologist in Galway. There's one in Drogheda. And they've, they've sped it up. It's like a three or four month waiting list to be seen by them. And they would give the formal diagnosis then and the formal prescription of hormone replacement therapy. In the meantime, while I'm waiting for that referral to come through, I'm working with Gender GP in the UK. 
So as of today, I am now eight days on hormone replacement therapy. Tablets, is it? Yeah, I'm on a tablet, which is what they call a testosterone blocker. And then I'm on a gel, which is the estrogen, which is the, the female hormone. So I, I take a tablet every morning and I use the gel every morning. And mum said to me on Friday, do you notice any change? And I said, no. Well, she said, I do. Uh, your shape has changed. And I said, mum, will you give me a chance? It couldn't have changed that quickly. Yeah. I suppose I do feel changes. Um, You're relaxing into, into yourself, are you? I am, yeah. I'm chilled. I'm relaxing. Um, I'm a bit more emotional than I normally would be. Uh, but I've been... I've been advised of that. The first month or two is going to be like female puberty multiplied by a factor of 10. So I will be a hormonal mess. I will be liable to throw a hissy fit every now and then. You'll be so, you'll be an even bigger pain in the ass than you can sometimes be. I will, PJ, but look at it on the bright side. People were thinking, you know, the devastation of lockdown level five. It has come as an immense blessing to me because I'm being protected from others. I won't be a pain in the ass to others. I just stay at home. So there is a there is a bright side in the midst of all the darkness. You talked, and I talked years ago, about your devotion to the cause of mental health. Having struggled with your own, you talked very openly on air about your struggles with your own mental health. Looking back now, Dara, was it all a symptom? Uh, I've thought long and hard about this, PJ, and honestly, yes, it is. Um, and I spoke to my psychologist, of course, about this, and my GP. Yeah, everything, even the whole MS thing. Hmm. Um, well, we forgot that. You were diagnosed with MS a few years ago as well. Yeah, that was four years ago. And a lot of research has since been done in America with uh, transgender patients who live with MS and when they begin to transition, their MS has been shown to go into remission. Look, everything snowballed. I was in chaos since I was eight or nine. and But I couldn't identify it. I couldn't name it. I couldn't put a finger on it. It continued to grow uh, right the way through secondary school into going to seminary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
leaving seminary, getting to a stage around my 20th birthday when I could take no more at the time, and I had planned to end it all. But it was music, and I've spoken about this before, it was music that saved my life. But over the years, it was always there. And when you start feeling down in yourself, there might be a disappointment. You might be questioning your own self-confidence. Yeah, the mental health will start eating away again. And I can honestly say, yeah, it's, no, it's, there's probably other reasons as well, but um, my stress levels have gone, PJ. My, my MS symptoms have more or less gone. Get away. I don't have fatigue anymore. I don't have weakness in my legs anymore. I don't have a problem with my eyesight anymore. I am, and this has all been happening since I finally accepted the fact I need to transition. I'm a woman in a man's body, and I love who I am, and I love who I'm becoming. Since I've dealt with that, that has been the elephant in the room. So the hormones have started. What is the, the plan, and I guess what is the, the timeline? Right, the timeline. Well, um, I hate to admit I will be turning 50 on the 1st of March 2023. And my plan was by that date that I will be fully transitioned, um, all surgeries done and dusted. Um, so there, there, there are two surgeries that will have to happen. Uh, firstly will be breast augmentation. So um, I will be looking at breast augmentation in about 12 months, we'd say a Christmas present for 2021. If, if COVID has gone away and if we can still travel and get around. Um, the guidelines then would be that you remain on the hormone treatment that you've already been on for a further 12 months before you can have the gender reassignment surgery or the bottom surgery. And unfortunately, you can't get that surgery in Ireland. So I would have to travel to the UK or to Europe. Come back to music, Dara. And you said how it was a salvation for you in, in your toughest of years. Do you plan to continue with your music? Oh, absolutely. Very much so. And often people ask me, um, gosh, what will happen to your singing voice now with the hormones? Won't your voice change? And just to dispel a myth on that, um, if you're transitioning from male to female, the hormones will have no effect on your vocal cords at all. If you are a female transitioning to male and you will be taking testosterone, well then yes, your voice will automatically deepen. What I will be doing over the course of the next period of time is I will be training myself to soften my voice, maybe my speaking voice, but my singing voice will never change. And I don't intend to try and even change it. Music is central to me. And, you know, they might, it might be a laugh to some, or it might be something new to have a fully functional female on stage singing Nessun Dharma or Nella Fantasia as, an, as an, a classical singer. But music is my life, and I will be the authentic me. And I make no apologies for that. Nor should you. Uh, it's a remarkably brave account that you give. And as I say, yeah, I've known you a long time and I'm, I'm privileged that you've chosen to do this on the opinion line. I have one slightly delicate question to ask you before we finish, and it's this. I've called you Dara throughout this 
on Facebook you've now become Dara Jan is Jan the plan for want of a better term where are you on names well I must say you're very good with poetry because that rhymes Jan and plan I like that PJ yeah look I have to be very conscious of my mum when she adopted me she gave me the name of Dara now Dara is a gender neutral name so just to you know out of respect for her I've changed the spelling from D-A-R-R-A-G-H to D-A-R-A, and it's still Dara. Now, Jan would be the ultimate aim. Um, I always loved the name of Janice Marie. I don't know why, but from, oh, I would say it was in my mid-20s. I don't know how I came across this name of Janice Marie, and I just fell in love with it. It's a pop star ring to it, hasn't it? It kind of has, you know, but... That's probably where I would be the destination at some point. But it, Dara it will always be me. And whatever people want to call me, that's fine. I am conscious that there will be the naysayers and there will be the, the ones that will try and knock me. And that's mum's biggest worry. And I, I would say that's the worry for every parent out there. That how will their child be received by others? And mum said this, this was her biggest concern. Will I be bullied again like I was in school? And I said, mum, I'm 47. I'm big enough. I'm old enough. They won't put me down this time. They won't knock me down. I've gotten up so many times. You don't need to worry about that anymore. I'm taking control now. I have the control. And, you know, people that try and knock you and put you down, it's not your problem, it's they've got the issues. And I'm just I'm determined now, and I'm surrounding myself by good people, and uh, I'm on an exciting journey. And may you have a successful end to that journey. Dara, thank you. PJ, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. We had that conversation over the last couple of days, myself and Dara McGann. And Collis says, Dara sounds very happy, the very best of luck. Uh, Bernie and Cove, Dara, a beautiful person. Full stop, wishing you every happiness in your future life. Meg says, call of the week. And it's only half past ten on a Monday. Thank you uh, for that, Dara. 1857-15996, breaking news story. You'll remember that Johnny Depp had a big libel case against the Sun newspaper. He has lost his libel case against the Sun newspaper. More on that, I suspect, uh, throughout the day. Food crimes that people commit. Okay, whatever you do, never take a bite out of someone else's burger. Absolutely not. You know, when you offer somebody a slice of pizza, but the slice is stuck to another slice and they take two slices? I've seen that. Death penalty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when somebody offers you crisps, you don't go deep. No, you don't. You don't rummage. You don't go deep. Taking a piece of naan bread without your granny's permission. <laughs> Don't do it. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 On Cork's 96 FM. A woman who claimed that she was a conscientious objector on behalf of the environment got a 12-month suspended sentence at Cork Circuit Criminal Court 
after she was found guilty of stealing 500 euro worth of Sitka spruce trees from Quilcha. She used a chainsaw to knock over 200 of them at a forest in County Cork, but she was found not guilty by direction of the judge, Judge Shauna Donovan, and she was found not guilty of criminal damage to the Quilta Forest near her home in Kale Kills. But a story we've been kind of following for the last few months. It's an interesting one. Her reasons are interesting. We wanted to talk to her since the trial began, and we can do so now. Shunad Jones, good morning to you. Good morning. Nice to talk to you. Yes, yes, yes. Why, why did you cut down the trees in the first place? I cut them down because I was shocked to see the way the spruce was destroying biodiversity in the area. I saw the trees, they were planted on good land. There was, the land was full of wildflowers, insects, lizards, frogs, birds. It was full of biodiversity. And then I saw what happened as the spruce trees grew up. They grew out. They grew together. They, the, it became impassable, dark, cold. And it's like um, biodiversity, life was obliterated in this forest. Like a lot of people and, shouldn't would see any kind of a tree as a good thing. A tree is a sign of nature at work, the green leaves, the chlorophyll, the, you know, trees are magic things, brilliant things. But you don't see it quite so, quite so simply, do you? a non-native tree not native to, to Ireland and they're planted uh, for commercial gain in these vast monocultures, these vast plantations um, they destroy biodiversity in, in the area where they're planted and um, they're also um, bad for the water quality um, a native forest is completely different the native trees um they support so many different insects and birds and the whole thing. And there's an understory, all the different plants that are growing underneath. It's a rich, diverse environment. Mm. And um, it's also a resource. I mean, the native trees, they provide berries, they provide nuts. An example would be the hawthorn tree provides edible berries. The uh, hazel provides edible nuts. Um, the, yeah. a, a native forest is a space where mm. if a person goes into the forest um, it's like you can smell the trees it's, yeah. it's uplifting it's very beneficial for, um, for, for the health and for mental health mm. and well-being but, but don't we need that, the, the... a haven for biodiversity for yeah. life the, the spruce, though, the, the Sitka that you talk about, it grows fast and it has big commercial value. It, it grows much faster than the, than the native trees of which you speak. And we need them. So isn't that why we put them in plantations like that? Well, the industry needs them, for sure. You know, they're the bread, bread and butter of the industry. They grow tall and straight and fast and they're easily harvested and taken away. But the problem is in this country is that um, that's all we've got, you know? That's all they're doing. And, and the native forests of Ireland, the native trees of Ireland are so scarce now. The ancient, the remnants of ancient forests are scarce, they're vulnerable, they're fragmented, 
they're often unable to regenerate naturally because of grazing. What's really needed is for the native trees of Ireland to have new forest land into which to be planted. And these commercial forests, these commercial spruce forests, it's just an industrial scale smash and grab operation where the But you don't disagree that we need them, Shannon, do you? Um, not on such a scale. I do understand that they are the bread and butter of the industry. The industry has grown up to use spruce. <clears throat> the thing is, we need a native forest to be brought back in every community. <clears throat> and every company, everyone who can, every individual, every organization needs now to be giving back something to nature. We've all become more aware that there's a biodiversity crisis. And um, if everyone who can gives something back to nature, I believe all of these spruce forests, that every single one, some part of it, some major part of it, should be reallocated to be converted over to the native broadleaf trees to bring back the forests of Ireland. The, the native trees of Ireland, they desperately need new land into which to be planted or naturally regenerate. Mm. We need to restore the forest culture. Were, were um, you surprised by the support that you got? Because you got a lot. Um, no, I think the time is right. That um, The time is right. People have lived near these spruce forests for decades now. They've seen the destruction. They've seen that those forests have no benefit to the local community. They have no benefit to wildlife. And... When they harvest, they just create this destruction, which people find shocking, and then they replant it with spruce again. And the time has come for change. And I think there's the consciousness of the people, the public, has, you know, we, we all realise now that a lot of people, more and more people are realising that it's time for change and forest policy. The old forest model is outdated, and it's time to move on to a new forest model where the forest provides benefits for biodiversity, for wildlife, for nature, for the environment, and for local communities, and for future generations. Okay. That's the point as well. Okay. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much, uh, Shunad. Uh, I suppose very happy with the outcome of the court case. I know that you were. A lot of people in support of uh, Shunad Jones and what she did are where she stands, rather. Not necessarily going around with chainsaw cutting down trees, but very much support her stance on trees and forests and native trees and non-native trees. So we wanted to talk to her, and we've done that. 1850-715-996. Kate has great time for her. We'd love to see her in action. It's a tonic to see her taking on the man like that. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Keep an eye out for Ardu, a street art initiative celebrating Cork City's traditions, history, resolution and art. It's at various locations around the city until the end of the month and Ardu will feature street murals by Shane O'Driscoll, Mazer, Deirdre Brian, Peter Martin, Gareth Joyce and more. Access all areas. One of Ireland's greatest singers and troubadours 
Liam and Wainley is set for a special show at the Kino on November 17th. Liam came to most people's attention with his band The Hot House Flowers and throughout his musical journey he consistently astounds with vocal voyaging and superb musicianship. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On this is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Mm, little bit of love in the room for Shunna Jones, it must be said. Tom says when these trees are cut down, the ground they grew in is destroyed. I'm surprised the Greens haven't been onto this long ago. And Kriana, if only more Greens were like her, I think I'd join them. It's a disgrace what happens in the native forests. They're beautiful and you never hear the Green Party doing anything about it. Alan says, I'm not a tree hugger, but that lady makes an awful lot of sense. It's a pity we don't support our own native oaks and other trees. Kevin wanted to know on Twitter, why did she... Why did the judge find her not guilty? She did do it, didn't she? Kevin, the only answer I can give there is I wasn't in court. Uh, But when judges give a direction like that, they generally have a reason for doing so. They generally explain it to the court. But I don't have any account of why uh, Judge O'Donoghue directed the judge uh, the jury in in the way that he did. 1850 715 996. Ernest Cantillon... uh, not just a publican and restaurateur now, but gin and whiskey magnate at this stage. Looking for an artist, Ernest. What are you up to now? Good morning. Yeah, how's it going, PJ? All right, fine. That's an interesting description, I bet. Yeah, yeah I'll take it. I'll be hot and work. <laughs> what are you doing now? Uh, we're just having a bit of fun. Um, we, I look, I suppose it, it can, came from a, one of those kind of paid-forward sentiments in that um, uh, in um, Soberlane we had... Um, a wall. I'm not sure what was on it before, to be honest, but we, we changed whatever was on it. And it just ended up being bare. They were probably in the process of changing it when the whole lockdown came. And then we said, OK, well, you know, we're not spending any money on a new flat screen TV or whatever was planned to go on it. Um, and then when, when we started doing takeaway, it's just been exceptionally busy. So we said, OK, let's, you know, we've had a good twist of luck and um, let's see if we can kind of pass it forward. So um, I just threw it out on, on Twitter saying, put up a picture of the wall, the rough dimensions, just scribbled out. One of the lads in the bar is really tall. He's six foot eight or something. So we got him to lie down. So we said, okay, that was about seven foot. That was the, the science in measuring it. Right. And um, we said, look, we'll, um, we'll put forward a budget of a thousand quid. And if a local artist, um, when I say local, as long as they're based in Ireland, um, uh, you know, wants to suggest something and we'll, we'll pick someone and we'll put that piece of art there. What is it and, you um, want to do with it? Have you, have you an idea in mind? Well, I, I didn't, to be honest, and there's been all sorts of, um, you know, uh, different like tapestries and all all but I wouldn't say non conventional but I would have assumed say a painting or a print but there's all sorts of different things and people have come on with ideas about getting collages of a number of different artists, prints and all. So it's been really creative ideas. Um so uh, it, mostly they've come on Twitter but through Instagram as well we've got a lash of them. So there's some really cool out there. And we've because the Crawford um college is just up the road, not the gallery but you know the art school. Yes. Up on um I can't think of the name, the key that's up there. But um it's, um, we've always kind of had a connection with them all through the years um, and um, so I suppose while we're hurting we kind of know they're hurting too because I guess it's probably seen as a non-essential purchase for a lot of people right there on the earth at the moment so um, 
uh, a lot of our, our customers would be artists um, part-time or full-time. So we know they're under pressure. So we just mm-hmm. said, look, it's, you know, okay, it's not going to change the world. It's only a thousand quid and it's one person, but, it, you know, it's going to mm-hmm. have one person. So um, uh, lots of different people got in touch and then it's just picked up a good vibe of it. Have you chosen anybody so far? I haven't yet. We're going to leave it up to that. We, we said we wouldn't do it as kind of a vote or a, a popularity thing, um, but uh, we're just going to leave it up to the staff here. So there's six or seven in the crew here at the moment and um, uh, they, we've asked them to come up with a short list of three each and um, I guess hopefully there'll be some, you know, between them they'll be able to pick a favourite. I, uh, I, I, I suppose you'd be hoping to get it done in time for the 1st or 2nd of December when hopefully people can go back into the pub again. Have you any prospect that that will happen, do you think, Ernest? I, I, I don't think we will. Um, they might go back to the 15 people outside thing, um, which we, we, we have never done in Soberlane just because the space is conducive to us. We didn't actually do it in electric either, but... Um, uh, then there was talk of Christmas week and I can't imagine they'll do it just for one week because I think it would just be a you know imagine if the boats were just home for one week mm. I think it would be mental uh, it would be asking for trouble so um, I don't think we'll be open till the new year yeah. don't get me wrong like, but we could be open at an hour's notice if, if we got the opportunity but I just don't see it happening yeah. uh, and I'd, I'd love to be wrong on it but I just don't um, I, think, I think a lot of people would yeah. love you to be wrong but I don't think that you yeah. are yeah. Yeah. I don't think that um, you are and I get that look I like, while the pub might be in a sense service to me personally, it, it isn't a, like, I think greater good and all that. I think, we, you know, people have just bought into it, uh, and that's the way it's got to be. All right. Well, here's hoping that by the time you do get open again, you'll have a fantastic feature that we can all go and, we and sure look will. at. All right. Cheers, Thanks Ernest. Thanks very much. Appreciate that. Thanks for the Not at all. Take care. 1850 That's Ernest Cantillon from Electric and Sober Lane. Yeah, I think he's right, unfortunately. I don't think that they'll be open for Christmas. I would love the pubs to be open for Christmas. I would give nothing more. Uh, nothing would give me more pleasure than to sit down with a plate of turkey and ham and mashed buds and gravy and a big dirty pint to wash it down. I'd love that. But I unfortunately don't think it's going to happen. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Email for the show, opinion at 96fm.ie. We're on Twitter at opinionline96. Our hashtag is OL96. You're going to contact us through Facebook. You can do so any minute or out of the day or the night. Just make sure you mark your messages for the attention of the opinion line, if you can at all, please. Right, this time, I suppose this time tomorrow, or maybe a little after this time tomorrow, given time differences and all that, the polls will be opening in the US presidential election. And look, there are other names and other issues on the tickets, but the big two are, of course, uh, the incumbent President Trump and the challenger Uh, the former Vice President, Joe Biden. And you would think, looking at the opinion polls and looking at the news as we get it on this side of the Atlantic, that Biden should sweep home fairly easily against a man who has polarised America in many ways over the last four years. But then again, people expected him to be beaten by Hillary Clinton in 2016. And if you're looking at the polls in the last couple of days... They're tightening in places where you wouldn't expect them to tighten. And I have a great friend who's uh, a Kerry man, Barney Sean, if you're listening, 
And he always said, he lives in New Jersey for the last 30 years, he always said to me, be careful where you get your news when you're covering American politics. Be really careful when you get your news. Try and talk to ordinary folk rather than talking to hacks, because most hacks are on one side or the other. We'll get a hack in a little while, but let's go first to a man we've spoken to before in the 2016 election run-in. was Patrick Johnson at the Irish Music Cafe in Michigan. Patrick, good morning. Good morning, PJ. And thanks for taking my call so early in the morning over there. How is it going to go? Is it tighter than we think? Is it, is it all up in the air? I believe it is. Um, the, the polls right now show that Joe Biden has approximately a seven-point lead over President Trump at the moment. Um, but that can be misleading. You know, there, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of manipulation um, and lies and intimidation tactics that have been used during this election. It's pretty shameful to be quite honest with you. You know, I, I don't, I don't trust the polls in that, you know, the Republican folks, the Trump supporters, when they're polled and asked, who are you going to vote for? They very easily will say, we're going to vote for Joe Biden to, to swing the polls so that perhaps the Democrat voters, the Biden supporters will think that maybe Joe Biden has it in the bag and won't show up to the polls because if they think he has a 10 point lead, for example, they might say, oh, well, we, we don't need to go to vote. And then Trump can come back, come in and, and sweep the election. And I'm, I'm afraid um, that some of those tactics may, may have been used. So the polls are always misleading. I don't always trust the polls. I think you make the point as well that around this time in 2016, Hillary Clinton was ahead by roughly the same margin in the polls heading into polling day. She was indeed, and she won the popular vote, but in the United States, it's, it's determined by the Electoral College, um, and Trump was elected president. So the, the, the states depend on, it's the key states that, um, that will decide this election, and Michigan is one of those key states, and Biden right now does have a slightly over seven-point lead over President Trump in the state of Michigan. Mm. Explain for listeners who wouldn't understand it, Patrick, this whole election will be decided across what? Is it between seven and nine states, really? Roughly, yeah, yeah. There's some, there's some, there's some really key in states. You know, Texas and Georgia, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan are big states. Wisconsin's a big state. Um, th- those, those are ones that can can go either way. You have your states that are normally a Republican state, and some that are normally a Democratic state, and then there's swing states, and and Michigan is one of those. So it, it'll come down to a few key states, and that's why the candidates, both of them, were in Michigan over the weekend. Donald Trump was here yesterday. Uh, Joe Biden and President, uh, former President Barack Obama over here on Saturday, I believe. Um, so they, Michigan is a key state, and it, it, will be, it will come down to a few key states indeed. Now, you have a, a radio show and podcast, which, which is in touch very much with the Irish community. There is an impression out there, Patrick, that, that most of the Irish community, in, in, in Michigan anyway, and many other states, would be Democratic-leaning, but that's not necessarily so. It's not. It's pretty divided. I, I know people on both sides of the issue. And one of the things that, that this election has, I've never seen our country so divided than it is today. And that, that includes the Irish community. We have folks in the Irish community that are that are huge Trump supporters, even up to the point we would call them patriots, you know, which um, which those kind of those folks kind of kind of scare me a little bit. They take it to the extreme. There's people from Ireland, born and raised in Ireland that are that are big Trump supporters. And then we have some that, that are Democrats. You would think that most of them would be Democrats, but I think it's fairly split down the middle um, as far as the Irish community of the people that I'm associated with and the ones that I know. What's life been like on the ground in a a swing state, Patrick, during this election campaign? 
Has it been, you know, we've talked to people in America about the fact that you don't talk politics, you know, with, with the guy next to you now because it can get divisive very quickly. Is that the case? It, it is indeed. Yeah, friendships have been lost because of this. And one of the things since, um, since this election, between the election and the coronavirus situation, anxiety and depression is a big issue for Americans as well. I personally don't talk politics on my radio program or on social media because you're not going to change other people's minds about politics, but you can divide people. And that's what that's what happens. Um, there are people in friendships that have been lost in relationships that have been destroyed because of, of their difference in politics. Now, most people are able to get along and depending, you can have a different view. Most people are able to handle that and still remain friends. But there are some out there that just just can't. And, and it's it's broken up families and friendships even so if this if this is tight if this is tight and it's on a knife edge the chances are we won't know for a few days at least a few days what the result actually is could that be a tense few days for america it will indeed and i I think that's going to be the case i think that it's going to be a couple of days before all the votes are finally counted 93 million absentee ballots have already been cast around the country is that more Uh, than a regular general election Oh, without a doubt. That's that's a record. And a lot of these states, the ballots won't even be counted until the polls close at 8 p.m. So our polls are open until 8 p.m. tomorrow. Those absentee ballots won't even get open um, until that time. So it's very likely that it could be Wednesday uh, before all those ballots are counted and perhaps even later. And it will be a tight time. You know, President Trump, even in one of the debates, uh, told Americans to stand down and stand by. You know, then that's that's a scary thing that people, a lot of people. Do, think do we know what that meant? To, was he was he riling up support? Yes, and the supremacist groups, um, you know, that are that are that are out there that are big Trump supporters. Um, just the other day, Joe Biden, his 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 crew was in Texas. They were on their way to a rally in Austin, Texas. They had the Joe Biden campaign bus traveling down the highway, and a group of Donald Trump supporters would and pick up trucks with flags flying from them, make America great again, and, and Donald Trump 2020 surrounded the bus. The bus was heading to a campaign rally for Joe Biden. They surrounded the bus on the highway. They pushed it off the side of the road, and they would not let the bus proceed any further. They were in front of the bus, behind the bus, completely surrounded. And many of these people were armed, and they outnumbered the police 50 to 1, so the police couldn't do anything about it. So they canceled the rally in Austin, Texas. The Joe Biden campaign canceled the rally. And Donald Trump today even said that he doesn't think, he said those patriots did nothing wrong. And that's that's the mentality that that has been going on right now. These people are taking it upon themselves to to try to intimidate. That Michigan had a situation last week where the um, the Secretary of State and the Governor were talking about carrying open firearms. You know, Michigan is a is a state where you can carry a gun if you have a license, mm. and you can carry an open gun. They were trying to ban open carry at the polling places because they were afraid that people would be intimidated by these men and women. With, with their guns. And we're not talking just a, a handgun on their hip. We're talking AK-47s and the AK-15s or whatever they are, the semi-automatic guns that they would be at the polling place. What, people carry time. those around in the street? They they can. They're, they're allowed to. They went to the Michigan Capitol back in the summertime. There was a protest at the Michigan State Capitol in Lansing where these people were standing out in the street with those guns uh, on their shoulders and in the Capitol building itself. And they're trying to pass a, pass a law now where it's illegal to carry firearms inside the State Capitol building. Crikey. Coming so down to the... Intimidation. Finally, um, Patrick, the, the popular vote 
versus the Electoral College. This, of course, was what scuppered it for Hillary Clinton in 2016 when she won the popular vote, but, but Donald Trump got the college. Someone said to me recently, look, never mind the polls. They're the popular vote. Watch the college. And the college tends to favour an incumbent Republican for some strange reason, if it's tight. Right, it, it does. And, and, and people will vote, you know, if people, people will vote the incumbent, I, I believe. Um, if, they're, if it's a tight race, I think the incumbent always has the edge. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, I believe I believe that if, if somebody at this point, I don't think anybody is on the fence. It, it, I would say that if you don't know who you're voting for at this point, um, then you're probably not going to vote. Uh, but but people who are on the fence, I, I believe, will, will either tend to side with the, with the incumbent or with a name. Like if there's just two candidates that they don't really know, they'll side with the name that they recognize the most. And Trump has spent so much money and he's on the campaign. And he's so, you know, he's the incumbent president. So people will tend to side with him. I hate asking someone who is living in a place that is so tense at the moment because of it to, to make a call for me. But Patrick, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? I think that Joe Biden will win. Um, I think it'll be tighter than than what it than what it, it is said to be. Um, I know the weather plays a role a lot, a lot of times in the minority vote um, and the Democratic vote, uh, and for poorer voters, the weather plays a role. And tomorrow's supposed to be a, a nice uh, nice day here in the state of Michigan, at least. So I think the turnouts will be great. And as long as the turnouts are, are good, I think that Joe Biden will win. Now, if the turnouts are low, I think that Trump would have the advantage. Okay. All right, Patrick. Thank you very much. That's uh, Patrick Johnson, host of the Irish Music Cafe. It's a radio show and podcast in Michigan. 1850-715-996. Tight, heading for a Biden victory, but a lot tighter than you might be given to believe. And don't underestimate Trump, is what everyone's saying. Don't underestimate him. Don't underestimate his ability to pull this out of the can or pull this out of the fire at the last minute. There was a book written um, by Katrina Perry, one of the presenters on the RTE 6 o'clock news. She was their last Washington correspondent before Brian Donovan. She wrote a book after the last election focusing on how Trump actually won. It was a great book because it wasn't leaning in any way politically. She she didn't, as you'd expect a good journalist not to, lean in any way politically. But she wrote a book on how he won the election. And I reread it not so long ago. And he knows what he's got to do to win. Whether it's enough is anybody's guess. I think it'll be a lot tighter than people think. I do think that, that Biden will win. J.O.D. says, may he win in a landslide because he's pro-life. God bless him. Fair enough. Uh, Atacan, I think it's much closer in the U.S. than people think and as polls suggest. I believe many people are overestimating support for Biden and relying too much on the polls and I still wouldn't rule out Trump. I still think says Atacan, that Biden will win the election. Alan, I don't think it will be tight. Trump for the win. He has a huge, devout base. Put your contributor, the point your contributor makes, read the polls, and people saying they're voting Biden to skew the polls is spot on. That happened a lot in 2016. We might run a little text poll on the show tomorrow. We might just do that tomorrow, okay? We'll see. We'll have our own little US election and see what people think. We'll, anyway, we'll do it tomorrow. Do tomorrow. Uh, now, Trevor Welsh on The Score, uh, Imro award-winning sports show on Cork's 96 FM, caught up with Corkman, uh, sports journalist 
Dave Hennigan, of course, who's been based in the US for many years, caught up with him on the score over the weekend. And, well, you had to, didn't you, raise the issue of the election. And uh, we'll have a listen back to what Dave said next. 1857-15996. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Join me on the big drive home every weekday, where I've got you sorted with the best music mix, the latest in Cork traffic and travel. I'll be testing out your music knowledge on the one second song, and all thanks to toppers at Turner's Cross, I want to hook you up with free food on the takeover. So for that and more, I'll talk to you weekdays from four. The big drive home with Ford Lease takes the hassle out of vehicle leasing. If you're a business, it's easy to budget with no unforeseen costs. Quartz 96 FM. This is Quartz Gold Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. Talking about Trump v. Biden. The US presidential election on tomorrow. Generally speaking, most people expect Joe Biden to win, but not necessarily a landslide. Trump has certainly pulled it back a bit in the last while. A lot of people saying don't rule him out, could easily win the second term. He might have been a slam dunk before COVID, but not now. We'll have to, you know, see what plays out. On his uh, award-winning show, The Score at the weekend... Uh, Trevor Welsh spoke with Dave Hannigan from Cork, of course, based in the US now for many years, sports journalist from Cork. But he asked him what he thought about the US election. I think the most likely thing to happen and what I fear will happen is that Joe Biden will win the popular vote um, by maybe a record margin and that Trump could squeeze out an electoral college victory and remain president for four more years. Wow. That's the way I, you know, that's what keeps me awake at night right <laughs> now, is, think, is thinking of that, because I'm not even a Joe Biden fan, but I just think Trump is an appalling character, and he's bad for the country, and he's bad for the world. He's bad for the whole world, and, and you know, we just need to get him out. And I fear, I, I see his supporters around, around where I live, actually, they're rabid, they're fanatical, they are energised by him, and I, and I just think that they will turn up in enough numbers in those crucial five or six states that swing every American election to get them over the line. Yeah, I was going to ask. I about hope that. I'm wrong, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to ask you about that actually, Dave. That he has fanatical supporters. Where do you think he has delivered for them? He hasn't delivered for them at all, and that's the amazing thing: is he doesn't care about them. He's shown he doesn't care about them. And they love him. They, they lo- it's a cult. It's like he hasn't done any of the stuff that he promised them that he would do. He has lied to them consistently, and they are as fanatical about him. To- they are more fanatical about him today. I think they are dug in because they, they perceive the media to be against him, which I think is true. The media are against him, and that makes them more devoted to him than ever before. You can't have a logical argument with them. I mean, this, this man has been cavalier about the virus he doesn't care that old people are dying. And they are many of, of you know, it's old people are his voters. That's his demographic. Yeah. And they, he doesn't care that they're dying in record numbers, that we are the world leader now, <clears throat> excuse me, in virus death. But the, the, the supporters, it's, it's a religious cult. You know, it has all the elements 
of a religious cult. It doesn't matter what the leader does. We will follow him right over the cliff. Yeah, because that's another thing I was going to talk about, that he has been heavily criticised for his handling of the pandemic, or at least his approach to it, Dave. Well, where we are now is we we had 100,000 new cases uh, in one day, which I think is a world record. And he was on the campaign trail at that that very day saying, we've turned the corner, we're on top of this thing, you know, it's all over. And it's getting worse. You know, 1,000 Americans are dying every day, which every three days we're having the same amount of American death as we had on 9-11. And America is still fighting a war about 9-11 in Afghanistan nearly 20 years later. Now 3,000 Americans die every three days, and his fans don't care. They're, they're absolute. And I, and I call them fans. They're, they're like, you know, because they're fanatics. They're just, they're devoted to him. Nothing he does. The truest thing Trump ever said was when he was on the campaign in 2016, and he said, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, and my supporters wouldn't care. He's absolutely right. They don't care. It's amazing. I'm not into politics myself, Dave, but, you know, obviously I'm keeping an eye on things, and it's, it's, it's there in front of your face on news 24-7. But, you know, I'm hearing that Trump's road to victory this time around is narrower, whatever that means. Is there any truth in that, that his road this time is a narrow one? Absolutely. He, he's definitely not doing as well in the, like, it's a bizarre system. It was devised by an Irishman, Pierce Butler, the Electoral College, uh, whatever, in the 1700s. And so we blame us. You know, we, it was a guy from Carlow, actually. So, you know, the Electoral College system means four or five states will decide it. He isn't doing as well in those states as last time, but he doesn't have to, you know. The, the problem we have with the polls is Biden is ahead in, in a lot of polls. But Trump supporters, when they get the phone call from the pollster, they won't come out as a Trump supporter, many of them. You know, he has the fanatics who are out in the streets driving the pickup trucks with the American flags. But then he has these closet supporters who won't tell people they're voting for Trump, but will go in and vote for him on the day. So if the pollster calls the closet Trump supporter, they'll say, oh, I'll vote for Biden. But when they go into the school on the day to vote, they will pull the lever for Trump. You were saying there earlier, you're not a Biden fan either. Uh, should should there be kind of a, a younger man in, in, in opposition against him, do you think? He's a terrible, like Biden is just a terrible, uninspiring candidate. Um, he's a placeholder, basically. Like he's just put there to hold the place. Um, and, I, and I would say this, I talk to people, I, I haven't got a vote. I'm not a citizen here. But I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and she stood in line for three hours to vote for Biden. And she said to me afterwards, I don't think, you know, young people are going to stand on a line for three hours to vote for Biden. They don't care enough about him. He, he hasn't inspired them. He hasn't, you know, made them passionate about it. Whereas if you flip that over, whatever you say about the Trump supporters, they're passionate about him. Mm. They'll stand in line for three hours to just to vote for him. Whereas that's the problem with the Biden thing. If you had a younger candidate that energized the young people, I would be much more confident about Tuesday. Right, OK. Well, uh, all eyes of the world will be on that on Tuesday for sure. How are things with you in America, Dave? How long are you there now? And, um, you know, how are things with this COVID-19? How are you coping yourself with the family? Well, the same as everybody. I'm, I'm here 20 years now, uh, Trevor, and this is obviously the most bizarre time any of us have ever lived through. Mm. Um, it's frightening because, I mean, every government seems to be struggling with it in one way or the other. But, you know, again, we have a, we have a leader who doesn't even take it seriously. We have a lot of people here who don't believe in science. And that would scare you. You know, that would scare mm. you. In New York, 
in fairness, we seem to have got a handle on it now with this, um, you know, we were very bad in March and April with mm. Governor Cuomo, who made a lot of mistakes himself, but he, he has taken it seriously, and we, ha- we are in a much better shape than most places in America. But again, we still have a lot of people who don't take it seriously, and that would frighten me as we head into the winter. Mm. Uh, just on a sporting sense, I know your, your, your lads are a bit into sport. You're actually going training there shortly, are you? I'm going to a match, yeah, match. which again is bizarre. There, some sports are allowed on and some aren't. Yeah. So I'm going to an under-14 soccer match <laughs> when I leave here. Right. Um, but then other school, the school teams are banned from playing, but the weekend teams are allowed to play which makes no sense to me. Like, you either go with all of them or or none of them, you know. But everybody on the sideline has to wear masks and socially distance and what have you. And the kids have to wear masks right up until until the kickoff. So I guess they're trying what they can, you know. Good character, Dave Hannigan. 20 years in this. God, make you feel old. I knew Dave when he was (laughs) around Cork, uh, applying his trade as a a journo. Talking to Trevor Welsh on the score uh, this af- or this Sunday, last Sunday afternoon, with regard to the what might happen in the U.S. election tomorrow, we'll come back to it because it's going to be interesting, regardless of the outcome. Remember earlier on, we were talking to Sean Defoe, the political correspondent, about the Leah Varadkar story that dominated the news at the weekend, and he said an awful lot of. Uh, the next couple of days for Leo Varadkar would depend on what the Taoiseach Michal Martin said at 11 o'clock this morning when he was doing a press conference, some jobs announcement. But of course, you just knew that the press conference would deviate away from that to talk about Leo the leak. He has said, this is Paul Cunningham, who's RTE's political correspondent, has been tweeting in the last while. He said, uh, this, the tarnished the sharing of a document was not best practice and not the appropriate way to deal with the document. He said there was no financial gain or advantage in the sharing of the document. The Taoiseach indicated he has confidence in his Tanishta and that the statement tomorrow in the Dáil will be the appropriate way to deal with the matter. So, is that enough? Is that enough? Only time will tell. 1850-715-996. Another thing about being in a married relationship. Yeah. Are you married to somebody who thinks that the fairies put diesel in the car? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, me yeah. too. Or, or the jobs she doesn't want to do are called man jobs. So, for example, getting rid of daddy long legs, that's a man's job. Or cleaning out the gutters, that's a man's job. If I try and tell her that the washing machine is a woman's job, oh, I'll have a washing machine at the side of my head. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC Cars Blackpool. Celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 this is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696 On Cork's 96FM. You may have heard a story in the news uh, this morning about Debenhams and about KPMG, the liquidators, making a second offer to the striking Debenhams workers who are continuing their picket in support of a redundancy package of two plus two, i.e. two weeks statutory and two weeks pay per year of service, which was agreed between Debenhams and uh, and the workers' union mandate back in 2016. They're holding out for it. We had an offer from KPMG 
a few weeks ago, which the workers and their supporters described as derisory. Valerie Condon, did this do any better, this next offer? Good morning. Obviously it didn't. Uh, good morning, how are you? Um, no, it didn't. It didn't help the situation at all. There was actually a WRC meeting on Friday, and this is what KPMG put to us at the meeting, that they're running out of money. Mm. And that the money now has, because they're paying leases, apparently they're paying for a lease down in Yall for a warehouse that's obviously laying empty and they have no problem wasting money on this. And that the offer has been reduced to between 500 and 750,000 now. Right, which would give all you guys even less than the first offer. Exactly, exactly. But this, like, at the end of the day, as... KPMG are to blame for wasting money for letting it go on this long but also the government of Taoiseach and Thornister should have stepped in at this stage. They're also letting that money dwindle. They're also going to be left without anything that's owed to the, to the revenue because that money is also obviously being spent. Yeah, yeah. People say when we talk about the Taoiseach or the Thornister stepping in, the question that arises Val is, you know, is it appropriate for a Taoiseach or a Taoiseach to be stepping in to the affairs of a private business? And I agree to an extent of that. But is it appropriate to have our government letting us out here in all weather warnings? Um, for, uh, we're being threatened, we're being, you know, some of what the girls have been putting up with is an absolute disgrace. The government knows this is happening. I actually told me Hall Martin firsthand in a phone call about what's happening to the pe- his people that have voted for him in. So you could look at it at both sides of the corn. How many days is it now, Valerie? 207. 207. Yeah. And counting, says you. And counting, yeah. Yeah. Let's re- look- we'll remind listeners again, actually, of what Michal Martin said in the Dáil about, about you and your colleagues, will we? Yeah. Here we go. Where's that gone? Hold on. Hold on. The treatment of the Debenham workers has been uh, very, very shabby and shoddy uh, and unacceptable. And I've made that point on a number of occasions. Notwithstanding the difficulties that the parent company company was in or is in, uh, the failure to honour the collective agreements that these workers had entered into is, in my view, unacceptable. Uh, And the manner in which they've been treated, uh, unacceptable in terms of the uh, performance of the company. I've met with the workers uh, on a number of occasions, both uh, in the Taoiseach's office and indeed on the picket line. You're disappointed, I'd say, in him at this stage, Val. I'm very disappointed, and I'll be honest with you. Um, he has two stores here in Cork, and that should that actually shouldn't even make any difference at the end of the day. There's 11 stores in the whole of Ireland, and that they sh- the government at this stage should be stepping in to do something. If it was anything else, they would be helping. But then they're, he's digging his heels in for some reason. I don't know what it is. And uh, he's not doing anything to help us. I suppose he might say that he's pro- prohibited by corporate law from doing anything like that. And that's what they're saying. But seriously, PJ, like, think back to the banks. 24 hours they were able to pass that. Surely they to God at this stage, then they can do something for us. Like, that was billions. We're not looking for billions. It's a valid point. Well, I'll leave it there. Thank you and continue the, the fight. Keep her lit, as they say, day 207. Mick Barry TD is going to bring this up in the doll, I think. Um, you were on the news this morning, Mick. The second package on it. Hold on. I'll stop that. I know where it went. Beg your pardon, Mick. Beg your pardon. I don't want that. Under. We were getting into Eagle Eyed Sherry a bit, a bit earlier than planned there, Mick. You're going to bring this up in the doll this week, I think. 
Yes, uh, I, I certainly intend to. There's uh, a whole load of issues raised by uh, these latest uh, developments. Um, there is a question about what the hell was going on at the WRC on Friday, where uh, the workers, the women, get a call, uh, come in um, to the, the, the WRC. Everybody's hopes are raised, uh, and then they are dashed in the cruelest possible fashion by not just repeating the offer that was made at the start of September, but by actually making a lesser offer. What an insult that is. And I think if, if your intention was uh, not to resolve, but to provoke, uh, well, that seems to have been what was going on on Friday. But there are bigger issues at stake now and issues that the government uh, have to reply to uh, as a matter of urgency because KPMG are saying that the uh, pot of money from which they've been drawing down their salaries, and I don't think those are on the low side by any means, will run out on the 23rd of December, uh, and that they will walk away from the liquidation and leave the stock in the stores. Now, if that happens, two things flow from that. First of all, the workers do not get the just redundancy package to which they are entitled, in my view. Mm -hmm. But second of all, the state is shortchanged. How? Because the state is a creditor. Uh, the state is owed uh, approximately 20 million euro uh, from the Debenhams liquidation. Uh, that would be the likes of the revenue commissioners on the one hand, the likes of various councils through the payments of rates uh, on the other and a few other payments as well. Uh, and that is money uh, that is due to come to the state. Uh, and the state could be left high and dry here as well. Right. So there is an urgent need on the government to intervene now, uh, not just to make sure that the workers get a fair deal, but to make sure that the state itself is not shortchanged from this uh, situation. And I'm sure I will not be the only TD attempting to raise this on the floor of the doll this week. The point that I was making to Val, and it's just the more I sit about think about this and if you like ruminate about it and I'm comparing it back to Vita Cortex again and again and all that the government can't really intervene in a situation determined by corporate law, can it? It, it can make an emergency intervention yes uh, it can say that the money which is due to go to revenue etc that some of those monies would be, would be waived or it could direct the liquidator to prioritise the payment to the workers and there's an issue of practicality here now, right? Leave, leave, leave the, the theoretical side to, to one side. This is a practical matter now, because if the state were to intervene and provide two plus two, which is an extra 11 million, not only would the workers um, uh, walk away from the situation, but KPMG would be able to get the stock out of the stores. They'd be able to sell on the stock. They'd have a new pot of money. And some of that money in the new pot would go to the government. So are you suggesting that the government would waive or that they ask revenue to waive some of the tax bill so that can be used to pay the redundancy? Yeah, the government have three options here. Uh, number one is to direct the uh, liquidator to pay the workers uh, the two plus two from the sale of stock. Number two is to waive some of the money that would be due to the state, whether it be the, the revenue commissioners, the councils or whatever. Or number three, to come up with a third solution. I mean, it's not down to the workers, the union or myself to come up with all the potential solutions here. The government of civil servants who are well paid 
to look at things like this. Where there's a will, there's a way. And it's quite clear after what happened on Friday now that the only way this is going to be resolved, this liquidator is not going to resolve this dispute, the only way this will be resolved is from an intervention from the government, an intervention from Michal Martin, and it's in the best interest, not just of the workers, but the state now as well, who are being threatened with the loss of the money that's due to them. Are you going to, when are you going to raise it in the dial? At the earliest possible opportunity, as you know... When is topical issues up this week, or is it? There's topical issues every day, and we'll be submitting topical issues on this too. Um, There's various options, promised legislation, topical issues, the finance bill debate. We will find a way to get this raised on the floor of the doll, and I'd be very surprised if we're the only ones. I'm quite sure there's other TDs and other parties who will be watching this carefully, who will be outraged by what's going on and who will raise it as well. Obviously, the Leo Varadkar issue is going to be a dominant issue in the doll this week. It's an important issue. Have you thoughts on how that might pan out, seeing as you brought it up? Well, it's quite clear if you read the reports in the Irish Independent and the Irish Times today that there's a strategy being put in place now, uh, which is that Varadkar stays in his job but is kind of cut down to size a little bit and is, is um, you know, uh, uh, weakened somewhat from it. Um, we'll see if it pans out that way. There, there's going to be a statement. There's going to be questions and answers. Mm. Tishuk has said in the last hour that he has confidence in his tonishta. Yeah, well, I, I think that there's there's uh, a lot of people out there who, who, who wouldn't be in agreement with the Tishuk on this. I mean, what you see here is a golden circle, uh, that golden circle between, you know, business interests, privileged interests on the one hand, and the senior echelons in politics on the other hand. Uh, the way in which, you know, um, um, uh, the, the the leaders of the of that doctor's organisation got the confidential documents. I mean, that's got golden circle written all over it. And I think the question and answer in the doll tomorrow will be very important. I think it's too soon to say at this stage. Uh, as to how this one is going to pan out, irrespective of the way in which it's trying okay. to be framed by various newspapers this morning. Okay, well, we'll see where it goes uh, tomorrow and for the rest of the week, and indeed when when we manage to bring up the Debenhams, or when you manage to bring up the Debenhams one in the Doyle, we'll follow up with that. Here is a story we have been following now for the last couple of months. You'll remember that towards the end of the summer, I went out uh, to visit Patrick and Adrian Walsh in the rusted and horrible old bus they were living in. The rusted and horrible old bus they were living in out there uh, in the vicinity, shall we say, of Blarney. And we will go no uh, more precise than that. A rusty, horrible, stinking old bus that they were forced to live in. And we spoke to them at length on uh, the opinion line about you know, trying to get out of it and their problems with the housing list and their problems with this, that and the other. Moreover, Adrian's problem living with a brain injury and the help that he has from Headway and the help that they've been getting from St. Vincent de Paul, but still they were living in an absolute kip out there. We've been watching this over the last few weeks and I think we've had a big development today. Kate Durant, good morning. Morning to PJ. In fact, I, I'd nearly call you Mystic Meg because we've just this minute literally landed on the site as you should phone. So, uh, what yes. is happening, Kate? Well, uh, th- th- what's happening is the fantastic people from Willie O'Brien's, and they, I cannot speak highly enough, them are currently putting the home onto the site. Um, it's we've been there since eight o'clock this morning. 
I'm just really glad I'm not a man this morning because the work they've done, the, the, the people at Lonnie Castle Estate and William O'Brien's guys, it's a huge job. There's been cranes and... Uh, outline what has happened between our first conversation and now. Okay, well, since our first conversation, I suppose, well, it was not even really our first conversation. It's when you took this up as a cause, to be fair, because without that, this wouldn't be happening anyway, without the publicity. Two lovely people living in a bus for four years. No heat, no light, no sanitation, no nothing. It's father and a son. Adrian, the son's a lovely guy. He's got an acquired head injury, and he would be a very vulnerable person. He's somebody who needs protecting. Um, so... We, we found out about them in the summer um, when lockdown happened and we were delivering meals on wheels and they couldn't even heat them. They were using their car battery to take electricity off. And between the jigs and the reels, we, we tried every angle to try and get them a house, but their circumstances are not straightforward and it wasn't straightforward. So Blarney Castle Estate very kindly um, came forward and offered them a mobile home, which we made a contribution to, but we did, it was did only a contribution. They've been very, very generous to us. Willie O'Brien's then said they'd move it. We did a GoFundMe. There's still quite a bit of money to be raised. We had to level the site. We had to put sanitation in. We have to get electricity to it. So as, as you're talking to me, in the lashing rain, um, there's a big crane lifting an absolutely beautiful home, a, a home with two bedrooms and a bathroom and a kitchen and everything that every single person in the world deserves um, on, onto their site. So, um, and there'll be sanitation a, and there'll be power. There is this power, this sanitation. The, the, the great guy in Blarney Paul, he runs Obus Construction. He hardcored the site. JFC pumps uh, found the well and put the pump in. It'll be a home that you or I would live in. It's what they deserve. It's what everybody deserves. And I'm looking at Adrian now, standing in the in the door of the bus, and it's like it's not even like Christmas morning. It's 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 too big to describe. It's I mean for four years they've lived in a bus. They lived in the bus, and not like a broken bus. No electricity, no sanitation, That's no filthy, nothing. Filthy, stinky. You... I mean, you've seen it. You can't describe it, can you? No, there are no words. That well, the last time I saw that level of of filth was in the slums of India, and that's Absolutely. a fact. That's and I have to say, like, it's quite hidden where they are because people in Ireland are very, very good. People in Blarney are very, very good. And as soon as people found out about this, which again was down to, to you coming out and really pushing pushing this out, then they've really helped. People have sent donations. They've offered stuff. They've offered their time. I mean, all this, this I'm looking here. There's nine guys here, nine highly skilled professional guys from William Bryan's here on site this morning. Not one of them is getting paid. You know, there's a crane here, there's everything here. Like, you just couldn't, you couldn't believe the kindness of strangers. So, for all the bad news and all that's going on in the world, you look at this little corner of it and you know what? It's not too bad at all. Not so bad at all. You know, Kate, we'll catch up. I think Fiona is heading over to meet the lads later in the week and we'll catch up and find out how they're settling in. Thank you for your Trojan works since day one and for bringing this to our attention in the first place. Well, without it, it wouldn't have happened. You know, without the media coverage, things don't happen. And uh, so, look, you know, thanks so much to everybody. Thanks so much. And I'm sure they'll look forward to putting the kettle on Fiona because it'll be the first time they'll have been able to do that for a long time. That's a a little win. A little win, which is a big win for them. Thanks, Kate. 185715996. It's great when something works out. As they used to say in the A-team, I love it when a plan comes together. A couple of things before we go. First of all, happy birthday to Sheila Kent from Toker. She's 80 today. And she's spending her big roundy birthday under lockdown. Her son, Sean, uh, has a wife and two kids. They live in Liverpool. Haven't seen her in a year. 
Uh, so she contacted Fiona, and Fiona contacted us to say hello to Sheila Kent. Hello, Sheila. Happy birthday. Sad to hear the passing of the weekend of Robert Fisk, the great uh, journalist, international journalist, much celebrated, lived in Dublin, an Irish citizen, uh, died at the age of 74. The last time he spoke to me on the opinion line, he talked about his connections to Cork, and they were more than I thought. I get that call probably more more than you think I do. I occasionally talk at UCC. Uh, I've got friends who work in UCC, and um, when I did my PhD on Irish and neutrality during the emergency, I spent a lot of time, months down in Cork, researching, especially in Coast Guard files and and so on, on the uh, on, on the period when when the Irish Defence Forces were actually preparing to defend an invasion of Ireland along the Blackwater River. So I probably know Cork a bit more than you think I do. I think he did. Lovely guy. Interviewed him many times. Phenomenal knowledge of the history and politics of the Middle East. And always a pleasure to have him on and sad to hear of his passing. Also, very sad to hear of the passing of Anne Eager. Uh, Anne Eager was a trade union legend in Cork. Uh, Sip to, at the time of Irish Steel, SIP2 at the time of Vita Cortex. She was the SIP2 representative, the SIP2 uh, official that dealt with the Vita Cortex workers. And she drove that case and drove it and drove it and drove it uh, until they eventually got the win that they got. I knew Anne. I liked Anne. I spent a lot of time in Anne's company, particularly during Vita Cortex. She was funny. She swore like a coal miner. She'd defend you with the last drop of energy she had. She had a phenomenal sense of humour. She was great, great company. And she was a wonderful artist, which is what she retired to do, which was paint. And I was sad to hear of her passing at the weekend. And my thoughts are with all of her colleagues and those she represented brilliantly in her years as a union official. May she too rest in peace. That's it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine.